Hello and welcome back to the Ideas Matter podcast. I'm Alistair Donald from the educational charity Ideas Matter. I'm also the convener of Living Freedom, the initiative that aims to renew freedom through education and debate. In this episode, we feature the lecture Dystopian or Dysfunctional, the 21st Century State. It's the third in the series of talks recorded at Living Freedom Summer School that took place in London in June 2023. You'll be able to listen to more from the series in the coming episodes, so if you haven't already, then please do subscribe to us on your favourite podcast feed. In this episode, we explore the situation that's developed over the recent period, where those that rule society appear completely to lack any sense of authority, while at the same time appear increasingly authoritarian in the way that they rule. How should we understand a society that on the one hand appears directionless, for example with institutions riven with disputes over cultural values, and is often dysfunctional and unable to provide basic services such as healthcare and transport, but at the same time, as was very evident during the pandemic, is increasingly prepared to sideline freedoms and democracy and instead rely on unaccountable agencies to exert control over public life and to manage the seemingly ever-present sense of crisis that we're living through. To look at these issues and more, our lecturer is Josie Appleton. Josie is the director of the Manifesto Club, author of Officious, Rise of the Busybody State, and a regular writer on the excellent Notes on Freedom Substack. Yeah, I think the, the basis of authority and legitimacy in the 21st century state is very strange and probably something that's never really existed before. If you look kind of back through histories of states, starting with ancient Egypt, Mesopotamia, through all the different forms, I think you could say that in every case, the state represents free subjectivity in some form. So you start out in Egypt, and so it's a kind of very naturalised version of free subjectivity. So it's the, the pharaoh or the king as representative of the energy of the sun or the energy of the vitality of the flooding Nile or bursting vegetation. But the leader is essentially, he is representative of some kind of power, creativity, productivity. And that's kind of the way he justifies himself to society in a kind of religious form. He's like, you know, I'll talk to the god and make your crops uh, blossom, but also in practical form. So in Mesopotamia, it's all about managing irrigation, supplying what society needs to function. And I think that's, that's kind of the case throughout history. And Hegel kind of says, if you look at the history of states, you start out with one person being free, so the king, and then you end up with a few people who are free, so the, the oligarchy or the aristocracy. Then you end up with the many people who are free, so democracy. And so in those cases, so when you're in democracy, it's like the state is the representative of the wills, the freedom, the volition of, of people as a whole. And even the kind of really demented, terrifying states, I think in some form, represent the principle of free subjectivity. So, you know, Italian fascism were building bridges and roads, and it, it's about that kind of in- incredible mobilisation activity, even if it's completely kind of demented or, or terrifying. So I think what's distinct about the current state is the basis of authority is a kind of purely negative one. And in in fact, the basis of authority is something that's completely turned against this principle of free subjectivity. So I think you see this very much in the pursuit of restriction for the sake of of restriction. So there's a kind of a morality of, of, of the more restricted state is, the better it is. So within COVID, you had all these kind of regulations that were like, 
okay, if you've got this many households and this many people and you follow this rule and that rule and you're this far apart and you're inside and this far apart outside, then you'll be safe. You know, the idea that if you just follow the rules, you obey the restrictions, then you'll be safe. I mean, obviously, obviously, there was complete nonsense. None of these rules made any difference whatsoever. But there was a sort of belief that the restriction itself is a good one and the restriction makes you safe. It endows the, the kind of gathering with some form of kind of protection. And you see this also with things like child protection regulations. So there'll be long documents saying, you know, you have to register your camera and you have to get an armband and you have to, you know, do this and do that. And if you do all this, then the children will be safe. You've got your, you know, your card saying I've had a criminal records check or whatever. So it's a kind of belief that restriction itself is a good thing. I think in a way the state has become, in its authoritative aspect, has become a producer of coercive instruments. Um, so that's kind of what it does. I mean, during COVID, that's all it did. I mean, it just produced regulations and laws and restrictions. Everything else stopped. Roads stopped, schools stopped, everything stopped. It just produced coercive instruments. I think that is kind of the, the authoritative essence of the state. And I think during COVID was almost the point which you saw the, the mobilisation of the state, sort of standing up and saying, this is what, what we are now. And everyone made grand speeches, and there were you know, discourses and presidential kind of tones, and that's kind of, that's kind of what it's about. So I think councils, rather than opening up roads or creating roads or mending roads, they close them down. They put barriers up, create low-traffic neighbourhoods. So I think it's that kind, of, that kind of shutting down or closing down or restriction becomes the basis of authority. So I'm looking a lot at the moment at public spaces protection orders, which are laws that councils can bring through to ban things in particular areas. And this is the way, like the way that they try and make an area nicer. So rather than put a new playground in or a youth group or whatever, they create a new law which bans people from standing in groups. So there's one council that you have to get permission from the council to gather in a group of four after 10.30. Another one, you need permission if you're going to have 20 people or more on a beach. So it's like, it's like this sort of idea that you make an area nicer by creating this restriction, 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 banning this, banning that. And I think in many ways, if you look at kind of elite identity now, it's defined by nothing except for this concern with regulating free public subjectivity. So, so elite culture is pretty much nothing except for something that's defined against public freedom. So I think if you look at in the past, you had very kind of strong elite cultures that were kind of substantive in themselves. So, you know, whether it's the Middle Ages and all the knights going around with their jousting or elites that had their own languages, they spoke Latin, everyone else spoke something else, or they spoke French, everyone spoke something else. So they, they kind of had elite cultures for like ways of saying that we're more educated, we're better than you are, we represent the gods in the way that you don't. So you had kind of a substantive elite culture which distinguished itself from people. I think that now elite culture has no substantive basis whatsoever. There's no claim to being more educated or more knowledgeable. All their common beliefs are essentially, it's a common unity of interests set against the public and set against public freedoms. You know, so what do, you, what do they believe in? You know, masks, lockdowns, speech codes, you know, all those things are essentially forms of public restriction. They're not forms of elite claiming of authority in a kind of positive sense. And I think also in terms of the role of the emergency now, so the, the climate emergency, COVID emergency, health emergency, I think really the role, the emergency is the anti-subjective principle because essentially it's the way of saying we're acting because we're being forced. Not because we want to, not because we're representing this interest, even our own interests, or somebody else's interest, or the common good, or, or anything. We're, we're at, it's the unfree political act. It's the act that's being forced by some external outside threat, generally a virus or 
rising temperatures or statistics of some form. So, it, 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 you know, you're told, you know, we have no choice. We must act now. So that act is the, the unfree political act, which politics is the realm of choice, right? So in Asian Athens, it's always about politics is, is, is being the, the free act, the act you choose. And in Athens, they had far more arduous emergencies than we have. They had to evacuate the city because they're being attacked by the Persians. They had plagues that killed half the population. In the midst of emergency, they found the meaning of politics and the meaning of state in freedom. In the midst of really not very much emergency, we find the meaning of the state, or the state finds its own meaning, in the kind of the external force that's pressuring them to act. So, so it finds the meaning in being forced, not, in, not in, 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 in kind of choosing a particular act. So I think the, the kind of origin of this turning against free subjectivity and specific problem that we're dealing with is actually that the state has become detached from social interests because it is through social interests that public subjectivity took particular form and was organised. So you look at kind of Aristotle's kind of work on the city-state, he's always like talking about, okay, what are the interests in this city? You know, are the merchants really strong, or the traders, or the aristocrats, or the common people? The balance of, of those different interests, each with their own kind of demands, that, that kind of gave the structure to the state, that told the state what it was to do and how it should be arranged. So he always derives the structure of the state from the balance of, of demands from society, and those particular demands are coming from particular groups. You know, Foucault says government is something that works with interests. It's concerned only with interests. And the role of government is to essentially consider what, how do I balance the needs of this group and that group and the ways in which in individual interests con conflict with the general interests. So, so, so the role of, of the state and law and deciding on what laws you make should be something that should be fed up from demands of society. Because society appears not as a collection of individuals, but as, as groups, as formations, which have, have particular demands and, in some cases, conflicting demands. So I think it's, it's a corrosion or, or destruction, in many cases, of these groups and, and, and blocks and particular formations, which means that the state is no longer pressured to represent public subjectivity in any particular form. And so because it, it, it no longer has demands to respond to, I think that it, it has turned against public subjectivity in itself, against freedom in itself, because it cannot incorporate or channel them. It doesn't want to do with people's energies. It doesn't have anything to do with people's energies, which fascism had, the Egyptian state had, you know, build pyramids, build bridges, go on holiday camps, march, whatever it was. They knew what to do with people's energies, and our current state doesn't. And therefore, energy itself appears as a destructive, a stabilising dynamic, and the estate finds its the ground of its legitimacy in turning against that, in regulating. Of course it can't stop it. Society is still formed from free acts. Yeah, that, that is the reality of the way we live. Um, and it's still formed, people find their meaning in the things they create. But the state doesn't find its authority and legitimacy in that reality. So you get a detachment from the reality where we actually make most decisions ourselves and, and, and create things, and that's how we find meaning in life, and a state authority that is completely turned against that and checks it at every turn. So I think there's a kind of conf conflict and contradiction that develops between, between that state of free subjectivity and the ideology of the state, which is, has no grounding except for being against it. You've been listening to Josie Appleton, give the lecture dystopian or dysfunctional 
the 21st Century State. This was the third in our series of talks recorded at Living Freedom Summer School 2023. We'll be back soon with the fourth in this series, which will explore the question of progress and feature Nina Power and Ralph Schulhammer. Don't forget to subscribe to this Ideas Matter podcast on your favourite podcast feed. And if you can, then we'd be very grateful if you could leave a positive review. If you'd like to find out more about Living Freedom, then head to our website, livingfreedom.org.uk. And finally, if you feel that you can help us out financially with a donation, either large or small, then please hit the donation button while you're there. Thanks, and we'll be back soon. Thank you.